many of us how many of us in our leadership forget the gospel how many of us in the situations that we find ourselves in our lives we forget that even though things are messy and life is messy that Jesus is real we forget that all things do work together for good for those who love God and for those who are the called according to a purpose even though all these things are against us Even if you're not aware of it, you live by a code of sorts. You have a set of principles that guide your thoughts and decisions. Well, today, Pastor Daniel shares that the reality of the gospel and the truth that Jesus is real should be part of the foundation that impacts a believer's daily life. You'll learn that the more you personally connect with your need for rescue, the more you'll demonstrate justice and grace in your interactions with others. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 18 as he continues his message, Talking Justice. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The hands of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all the people. So you shall put away that evil from among you. Verse 8, if a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between what judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within the gates, then you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses. And you shall come to the priests, the Levites, and to the judges there in those days and inquire of them. They shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. You shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which the Lord chooses. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you, according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. Now the man who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. So you shall put away the evil from Israel and all the people shall hear and fear and no longer act presumptuously. Now, this long section I read to you, it kind of gives us the principles of violations. Like we just talked about judges, And we talked about how we should worship. And then the question becomes, well, what do we do when someone violates these laws, right? And so the first one, we get the violation of the way that God prescribes that we would worship. And what we find is that if there's found anybody who's within the gates, who is living in a way that, notice this language, that has been wicked in the sight of the Lord your God. Notice the second way it's explained. In verse two, in transgressing his covenant. Look at verse three, another way it's described has gone and served other gods and worshiped them. So you see, the way God sees these violations against the way he's prescribed his worship is it's evil, 
They've gone and served other gods, and they're breaking the covenant. So that's why if you, when you get to the words of the prophets later, God will be talking to the children of Israel saying, you guys are adulterers. You have committed adultery on the covenant that I've made with you. And so God sees these things very, very seriously. And if that were to happen, notice how this thing is supposed to be handled. It says that it should be thoroughly investigated. And then if it's true and this abomination has been committed, then that person shall be brought to the gates and they should be stoned to death with stones. That was a form of capital punishment. And I love the fact that here, the Holy Spirit knew that we'd be in 21st century America. It just doesn't say you have to be stoned, be stoned with stones. Because someone would be like, well, he got stoned to death with weed. You know, and that's not what they're talking about here. This is literally people, it was a form of capital punishment. Now, I want you to notice a few things. That first, the punishment for the transgression is what? Is death. Is that important biblically? Absolutely. Because the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. See, we read this and we think, how harsh, right? And in our culture, it is harsh. But the spiritual reality is that the person who sins dies. That's what the Bible teaches, that any transgression of the perfect plans of God is punishable by death. Even if we think, well, this is a small thing. No, no, no. In God's economy, it's a huge thing because it completely violates the relationship that we have with him. And that is why we're so grateful for Jesus. See, the Bible teaches that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you know what all means? All. You guys are brilliant. You guys are Bible scholars. All means all, right? And so because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, all of us are under this just punishment of God. And God is right to do it. Because all of us have worshipped the wrong things. All of us have even tried to worship the true God in the wrong ways. We have all made mistakes, every single one of us. And that is why the message that Jesus came and lived a perfect life and he died on the cross and he rose again, that's why this is so extraordinary, my friends. Because God sees us in all of our failings and God knows that there is a death sentence on each one of us. Just look, you deserve death, but I'm actually going to give the death to my son so that he can conquer it so that you can have life. And that's who the Lord is. See, the Lord does not want, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3. So the gift of Jesus is God saying, look, you have made so many mistakes. You are deserving of punishment, but I gave it to Jesus and said, and if you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you abide in Jesus, I'm going to accept him on your behalf. And that is amazing. That's the good news. The good news is that all of us have broken the covenant. And all of us are deserving of death. And Jesus came and he conquered it. And my friends, talk about a reason to worship. Talk about a reason to be joyful. Talk, see, that's why the apostle Paul and Silas, while they're in jail, could sing praises to God. Because they knew that there's something so much greater than even their freedom within the Roman Empire. That Jesus was real and he was in their midst and he loved them and he loved what they were doing and he, they knew right where they were, Jesus was there. But how many of us, how many of us in our leadership forget the gospel? How many of us in the situations that we find ourselves in our lives, we forget that even though things are messy and life is messy, that Jesus is real? 
We forget that all things do work together for good for those who love God and for those who are the called according to a purpose, even though all these things are against us. Maybe the, you've found your way off the path and maybe that little side path God wants to use for his purposes, just like we've been seeing in the book of Philemon, that Onesimus' journey away from Philemon was so that he could come to know Jesus and that Paul could send him back, not as a slave, but as a brother. We need to make sure that we keep our eyes on the gospel. So important. Now, in the way justice is administered here, notice first, it can't be just he said, she said. It needs to be out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. And our justice system with eyewitness testimony is still based on this. We need to hear from numerous people, right? And the people who would bring the issue and be the, those who testified, they had to be the ones who cast the first stone. And doesn't that remind you of with the woman caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8? Remember they brought that woman and they, they wanted to catch Jesus. They found this woman. They said, we caught this woman right in the very act of adultery. And it's always amazing they didn't bring the guy. But in that culture, you know, talk about a lack of justice. See, the children of Israel had these laws. They weren't even practicing. They were arbitrarily and with partiality meeting out justice. But they just bring the woman. And Jesus, what, how does he respond to that? He says, well, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. It's coming right out of the law. He's like, okay, all of you guys are witnesses. Let the person who's never sinned cast the first stone. And it says that from the oldest to the youngest, everybody left. And you know who was left with that woman? The only person who was without sin who could have cast the first stone. And how does Jesus answer her? He says, where are these accusers of yours? She's like, they've all left. And I love what he said. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus' answer is so provocative if you think about it because he's not just letting her off the hook. He's saying, look, I don't condemn you. He's like, I came to save you, but don't do it anymore. See, he's not pretending like what she did wasn't wrong because it was wrong, but he's saying, look, it is wrong. Don't do that anymore, but I didn't come to condemn you. And you always wonder, whatever happened to that woman? Like, what happened with her life? And I want to think in my heart that, man, this woman just, she had this radical Jesus encounter and Jesus advocated for her and he protected her and she went on to live this most amazing godly life. But you know what? The Bible doesn't tell us that. We don't know what she did. Maybe she grabbed hold of that grace of Jesus and maybe she just went out and squandered her life again. Just went back to doing what she was doing. See, we have to ask ourselves those same questions, right? Like with the grace that has been given to me, what am I doing with it? Did I come to know Jesus? I still live the same way I did before. I had the same values I had before I knew Jesus. I'm just doing what I was doing. Or because of my faith in Jesus, now all of a sudden, God's grace is provoking me to be different. And I think for each one of us, every single day of our lives, there is that old man like a zombie, like a zombie apocalypse trying to get alive again in your world. Right? It's like you used to be angry and then God's changing. You know that anger is a sin, but all of a sudden, every time goes on and that anger, old you, dead you, comes up. It's like... Rrr. Right? But we need to reckon our old lives dead to sin and alive to Christ. We don't want to let God's grace in our lives be in vain. And that's why one of the things that we're passionate about here at Crossroads is we want to see everyone take the next step. That's why we invite people to put their faith and trust in Jesus, but... Every single one of us, every single day of our lives, because we're all in process, we say, Lord, what is the next step you're asking of me? 
Lord, what is the next thing you're asking me to do? Lord, thank you for the step you had me do yesterday and the day before. But Lord, what is the thing that you're wanting to incorporate into my life because of my faith in Jesus today? Maybe it's forgiveness today. Maybe it's generosity today. Maybe it's compassion. Maybe it's you going and people are upset with you for something. You're going and you're saying, listen, I'm so sorry that you're upset. I'm sorry I didn't handle that the right way. Right? Maybe it's, it's time to start serving. Maybe it's this thing or that thing. When God speaks, just seek to just put that stuff right into practice. I mean, you wonder with that woman caught in the act of adultery, what it would have been like if she just went and sinned no more. She's got her life right. Jesus just advocated. He saved me from condemnation, and now I'm going to live my life as a response to such a great gift that I've been given by God. And that's how we should be. We're responding to who he is. And so that's the case if someone worships falsely. And then, of course, once you get into... Uh, verse 8 and following, what happens when the local judges have a case that's too hard, right? Which you can imagine happening. Something comes up and they're trying to figure out what's going on. Like, we don't know what to do. So what they do is just the way in our country today, we have a Supreme Court. So you have like the local court, then you have the district court, and then you have the Supreme Court. Ultimately, in the life of the children of Israel, the Supreme Court was actually the priests and the Levites, And the idea is, is when something was too hard for the local judges, they would go because they expect that the priests and the Levites would inquire of the Lord. And whatever the final judgment of the spiritual authorities of that community was, whatever their decision was, they had to do it. That was the final say on it. Because the idea was that it's obviously coming from God. And the person who rejected that final authority, that person was now guilty. Now, I think what's interesting about this, of course, is that oftentimes today, and let's just put it in biblical terms, believers go to law against other believers. You know, and the Apostle Paul talks about that. That the law of the land is higher than the spiritual law. I remember a pastor that I spent a lot of time with who I just loved, who really, God really used him in my life. He once, when I was going into the ministry, I felt called to go in the ministry. I said, I feel called to go in the ministry. He said, don't do it. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, it's not worth it. So he said. And he told, and amazing. It's like, this is the guy who's been in ministry for a long time. He's like, don't do it. You know? And then he told me the story. And here's what he said. He said, so there were these two guys in the church and they had neighboring properties, right? And they were disputing over where the property boundary line was. And so these are two brothers, brothers in Christ, and they're arguing about, he's like, it literally is like a foot. They're arguing about a foot where their property lines end and begin. He's like, so one guy came to me and he said, you know, with this whole thing and you know, so-and-so and you know, the property lines here. He's like, what should I do? He's like, you should give it to the other guy. And the guy got mad. He left the church. And then the next guy came. He said, yeah, you remember so-and-so? Yeah, yeah, I heard he left the church. I don't know why, but good, you know, because, you know, we have this property line thing and we're going to go to court. He said, what should you do? What should I do? He's like, you should give it to that guy. He told both guys to give the other guy the thing and they both left the church. They both got mad. But what does the Bible say? Like, is it worth it to argue over one foot? And like, praise God, the, literally, the pastor is doing a great job. He's telling both of them to give it to the other. Because you know what happened? If they both say, I'm going to give it to you, I'm going to give it to you, you know what they do? They split it halfway in the middle and everyone gets six inches and everyone's happy. <laughs> like, that's how it goes. But no, I am hunkered down and I want it right. And this pastor was a great spiritual leader in that situation. I mean, what wisdom. He told both of them to give it to the other guy. And they both got mad. But you know what? 
I think oftentimes we would do far better to seek spiritual guidance than the guidance of everybody else. To seek spiritual wisdom before we jump into, this is what the law of the land says. Because what's amazing is, is when we seek spiritual guidance, then you lead from spiritual wisdom as opposed to carnal wisdom, opposed to fleshly, earthly wisdom. And we have more than enough earthly wisdom, and look at where our world is today because of it. So I just want to encourage you. And listen, I'm not saying you should come and ask me all this stuff either. I got, my job's hard enough. You know what I mean? But what I am saying is that seek spiritual wisdom on situation. Because somebody who knows Jesus and loves Jesus will give you counsel unlike anything else. Our executive pastor ministry, I love what he always says. He says, when something hard goes on in someone's life, you can always see where they're going to land by who they allow to speak into their life. So all of a sudden, someone's having a tough time in their marriage, right? And they're going to somebody who has a tough time and isn't really following Jesus. Like, oh man, you should leave that person. Like, they are worth your time, right? Now, is that biblical counsel? Probably not. Given the circumstances, it could be, but most times it's like, well, really they're just speaking about their marriage and what they did, right? But if you go to somebody who loves Jesus, they're like, well, listen, is there biblical grounds for what you're thinking right now? What does God say about husbands and wives? What does God say about forgiveness? What does God say about grace? You know, what does God say about taking the plank out of your own eye instead of dealing with his speck or whatever, right? And then you get that. You know what happens when you go to someone like that? Either you get mad at them because you don't like the counsel or you start to pray about it, and then God starts to speak. See what happens? And so I really want to encourage you. You seek spiritual insight before you run to the carnal stuff. But the reason we like the carnal stuff is it's actually we're just carnal. We want what we want, right? And so I think it's beautiful here that the final authority are the people who ministered to the Lord for the people and ministered to the people for the Lord. The priests and the Levites, that was their function, Now, this last little section here, verses 14 to 20, right? Now we see the principles governing kings. Look at what it says. It says, when you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are all around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren, You shall set a king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Verse 16, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Verse 17, neither shall you multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Verse 18, also, it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests and the Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. Verse 20, that his heart may not be lifted up against his brethren, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Now, to be honest with you, this little section is a bummer because you realize that when God called the children of Israel to be his people, God actually set it up without a king. He set it up to be a, you know, a theocracy. That's what you call it, where God is the center. 
right? And if you know your Bibles, you know that this ended up happening, of course, in 1 Kings. By the time Moses and Joshua were gone, they had these series of judges, the people said, we want a king over us. Like they didn't want to be unique. They wanted to be like everybody else. And Saul became the first king. And so really, this provision here is, notice it's prophetic. God knows what they're going to do. He knows that at some point, they're going to tire of being God's unique people. And they're going to decide they want to be like everybody else. Now, you know, I gotta, we got to ask ourselves that question. Are we willing to be God's unique people? And not unique in like a weird way. Like, you know, I would say like, God wants peculiar people, not weird people. You know, God, but he wants us to be unique from the world in which we live with a different set of values, a different set of way of going, right? And so in 1 Kings, we find God knows that at some point they're going to tire of being unique, so they're going to want a king. And so when that happens, we have all of these restrictions for the king. Notice he has to be, the Lord's going to choose one. It can't be a foreigner. And if you read in Chronicles and 2 Kings, you're going you're to see some of this stuff. Right? You're going to see where you're like, oh, man, they chose foreigners, right? Directly in violation of this. Not only that, you know, they're not allowed to get sent back to Egypt. That stuff went on in their history. In verse 17, you get these, you can't multiply wives, right? You can't multiply horses, all these different things. And what's amazing is by the time you get to the life of King Solomon, right, you find all of these things are going on, right? Solomon multiplied wives. Now, it's amazing. In that culture, having multiple marriages, polygamy was very common, right? But what's amazing in the Bible, it's always undercut. See, the Bible speaks about this stuff because polygamy is a classic way of the enslavement of women. That's exactly how it works. It's meant to demean women, when a man has two wives, he is automatically in a position of power. And so it's very common in that culture, and the Bible undercuts it all the way through. All the way through the book of Genesis, every time there's multiple marriages, it's always seen in a negative light. Always. Because God values women. God doesn't want to see them subjugated, see them played with. No, they're created in the image and likeness of God. But what you have here is Solomon made all these mistakes. And if you think about the three great issues of leadership, pleasure, money, and power. The silver and gold is money. The multiple wives, pleasure, right? All of the, the horses, power. Straight up in your leadership, how is your desires for pleasure, money, and power impacting the leadership that God has given you? Jesus is Pastor Daniel wrapped up today's teaching by asking you if you're willing to be different, to be part of God's unique people. This doesn't mean that you're weird, but it does mean that you're willing to do things his way, not the way the world does it. You learn that God knew that the Israelites would get tired of doing things differently and want to do things like everyone else. But you can stand your ground and intentionally live in a way that points to God. Hey, everybody, I want to invite you to join me in reaching people with the message that Jesus is real. Would you pray about partnering with us in the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio? Your support in this way helps us to keep sharing God's word and helps us reach more and more people. Thank you for considering partnering. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. 
Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel continues this study in the book of Deuteronomy. As you've already heard, God wanted his people to be different from those around them so that they could experience the full life he had for them. Pastor Daniel will continue looking at God's design for different areas of leadership by taking a look at the Israelites' spiritual leaders. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Blueprints. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.